Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, in the last episode, it was Isaiah the prophet. Uh, are there any comparisons, any obvious differences there? Well, they certainly came from quite different backgrounds. They are both prophesying in the same part of our story in Judah, in that southern nation. And they're prophesying similarish times. Jeremiah, a little bit late, he's around 626 to 586. BC. But Isaiah certainly came from a, a pretty high class background. How do we know? Well, if you look at the Hebrew text, the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew. If you look at the Hebrew, it, it's a very high class, very high quality Hebrew. And Isaiah clearly had an ability to go in and out of the royal court at, at will. So some think maybe he was some extended part of the royal family, but certainly from high up in society. Uh, Jeremiah, very different. We're told in the opening of his book in chapter one that he was the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests from the town of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. So he's from a priestly background. His right. destiny is to be a priest. So quite different characters here. So that was his role, that was his job, or that was what he was destined to be. Until what? Something happened? Until God broke in. And actually, until God broke in, even before he was born. One of the incredible things about Jeremiah's story is that God's word comes to him in chapter one and says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So there was Jeremiah having been brought up by his dad and starting to be trained in the ways of becoming a priest one day, expecting that. But now God breaks in at this point in his life and says, no, actually, the call on your life is to be a prophet. Oh, and by the way, that call has been there even before you're in your mother's womb. Hmm. You know, there's quite a bit in the Bible about the preciousness of life from its very beginning, from its very conception, even within the womb. And God having plans for us from the womb and even before the womb. This passage here, Psalm 139, is another passage that speaks about the preciousness of life from its beginning, which is why historically Christians have have always been opposed to abortion. Now, yes, pastorally, we would always want to be tender and helpful with anyone who's had to walk through that. But life begins from conception, is the Bible's viewpoint. And God's plans for us even start from that point, as he reminds Jeremiah in chapter one. Does that mean, though, that Jeremiah had no choice, that he would have to be this prophet? Well, when God's got you, he's got you. And in fact, one of the things that will come out through this book is his struggles with being a prophet. In fact, there are passages where he complains to God and really tells God this is not what he wanted to do. And Jeremiah is often known as the weeping prophet or the depressed prophet. 
Now, some of us sometimes do go through dark times, and there were people in the Bible who went through dark times too, and, and Jeremiah is one of those. At times, people's rejection of his message so caused him to despair that he went into dark times and can really say to God, why Why did you ever call me? Why did I ever say yes? And yet there's a wonderful passage where he says, and yet if I say no, his word is like a fire within me that burns. So he knew that God had put a call in his life that even though at times that was costly, even though at times, frankly, he didn't like it, he knew it was there. And he knew that all he could do was say yes to that word and continue in that ministry as a prophet, even though it, it would cost him dearly over his life. So it was a calling, not a career. And there's obviously a big difference between the two. Yes, absolutely. Um, do you know, I, I think God can call us to things that we might see as a career these days. I think it's really important that Christians today don't just see pastors and evangelists as people who have a calling. You can actually be called genuinely by God to be a school teacher or to be a nurse or to be a street sweeper. That can be a genuine call of God. But we all have to be careful not to just pursue a career to our own advantage without bringing God into it, ever pursuing promotion and say, that's the calling on my life simply because it's a career I like. But we'll find in other parts of the Bible, one of the episodes that we'll be looking at shortly looks at Daniel, whose calling there was to serve God in a very secular situation and yet who served God incredibly. So whether we're pastor, prophet, evangelist, nurse, doctor, street sweeper, it can either be a career or a calling. Well, what has God put within us that he's saying, this is the one thing that I want you to do? And for Jeremiah, that was to be the prophet to Judah at this really difficult time. How, though, do we know what our calling is? Well, I think there's probably a couple of ways. One is, what is it that gives you life? What is it that makes you buzz? What is it that you enjoy doing? So for me, the thing I have loved doing from the day I became a Christian at the age of 18 was I just love helping people to understand God's word. That's what fires me up. And that's found expression in my life, in preaching, in lecturing, in writing, in broadcasting, in sitting one-on-one -on -one with people. It fires me up. So I would say, what fires you up? Second, what do other people see in you? What, what do you honestly feel God is saying about your life? Now, those, I think, will have different weight at different times in our life. And for Jeremiah, it was the what was God saying that was the first one that led him into the others. Clearly, he had that sense of knowing God had put prophecy within him because, yeah, it's like a fire in me. I can't stop. But actually, if he'd listened to just what other people said, it would have been, we don't want your prophecies. Thank you very much. So it's a bit like trying to line those three things up at times. And that's how I found God's calling and tried to walk in it in my own life. Well, you've just hinted there that when he did bring his message from God, <laughs> he didn't get a very good reception from the people. No, not at all. In fact, his, his book um, actually comes in 
in sections reflecting history that was going on. The the first part of his book is really during the reign of Josiah, so that's 639 to 609 BC, and Jeremiah had grown up the same time as that king. And uh, his ministry here is really openly condemning injustice and idolatry in the nation, warning them they're trusting in the wrong things. The second phase is during the reign of King Jehoiakim, and this is condemning sins and injustices of the kingdom at that time. And a third stage is during the reign of King Zedekiah, that's 597 to 586. And here the, the challenge particularly is false prophets. And the final stage is after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. Now, each one of those brought its own challenges. And people were very resistant. I mean, besides mockery at times, there was a stage where Jeremiah was even thrown into jail. Well, jail's not quite the right word. He was lowered into a cistern. <laughs> now, a cistern was a lined tank where water was kept. Water was was very precious. So he was arrested and it was pretty tough for him, the things that he had to go through. And it got expressed in different ways at different times, mockery, rejection, being told to shut up, accused that he himself was a false prophet by those who were false prophets, even arrested and put in jail. And this was through kings coming and going uh, by the sound of it over a period of time and the sacrifice if you like that he had to make to still continue sharing the message how did it affect his his personal life what was the impact on 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 him personally then well as i said earlier jeremiah was he seemed to have been a tender soul um and he took some of this pretty badly so there were times when he went through really, really dark moments, just doubting his calling, uh, doubting God. And one of the lovely things about the book of Jeremiah is it really answers the question, does God mind if we're honest with him? And the answer is no, he's big enough to cope. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 20 where the New Living Translation says, Oh, Lord, you've misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. But that word misled in Hebrew can also mean seduced. Lord, you tricked me. You sweet-talked me into being a prophet through false promises. And the reality is nothing like I had expected. And frankly, God... I have had enough. And yet it's like every time he then offloads with this, he then knows he can't give it up because he knows that God is there and real. And the minute he offloads, something changes within him. It's, it's as if he were free to rise in faith again. So having offloaded on God in chapter 20, we then read in verse 11, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. I'm interested to hear you say that um, God still used him despite his doubts. Absolutely. Despite his doubts, despite his complaints, despite his grievances, despite his disappointments, despite his anger 
All of these are things that you'll find in Jeremiah uh, if you read through them. And I love this book because it's really showing us God is big enough to cope with all this. One of the things that God hates, and this comes out in the book of Jeremiah, just like it comes out in another book we've looked at, the prophet Amos, God hates false religion. God hates religion that is superficial and that says all the right words, but where the heart is not there. And I think this book shows us that God would rather have us come and say, here, God, I'm mad with you. You tricked me. You deceived me. You've not answered this prayer. And God isn't offended by this. I think some people think, oh, you can't talk to God like that. Well, the only people who say that for me are people who don't really know God and what he's like. God has big shoulders and can cope with all our complaints, all our minds. All he asks is that having offloaded, we then just stop and listen to what he might want to say. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 20. He offloads to God, stops, and the minute he does is, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Now, the situation hasn't changed. The things he's still got to face haven't changed. But suddenly, he knows that God is there. And so, now for any listeners today who are struggling, going through tough times, feeling depressed, struggling, feeling they've got even grievances against God, come on, man up, woman up, tell God to his face what's going wrong, what you feel like, what you're struggling with. Be honest with him, but then stop and listen to what he says in the quietness. And Jeremiah always found that somehow when he'd done all his huffing and puffing, God was still there and God could still take him through. It sounds like once he dealt with all that baggage, that enabled him to go on to the next step the next level, if you like. Absolutely. And the lovely thing is, uh, I mean, Jeremiah is not the only person like this in the Bible. There are others we find complaining. You know, Moses went to God and and, and brought his complaints to him. Elijah uh, brings his complaints to God and says, I've been a faithful prophet and I'm the only one left, God, and there's only me. And God says, no, there aren't. There's 10,000 left yet. But God is big enough for us to bring all these complaints and, and feelings to him, he's, he's well able to handle our telling him what we really think. You know, we don't need to dress up prayer in religious or unreal language. And that's what a lot of these people were doing. They got all their religion. They were depending on their religion. They felt their religion would take them through. And But what they lacked was a reality of relationship. God didn't seem to mind his doubts. You know, there was therefore what an authenticity about Jeremiah that God wanted. And uh, doubting isn't a problem for us, is it? Not at all. In fact, if you took out the Bible, people who doubted or who had their moments of uncertainty, you'd have a very thin Bible. And real faith is not pretending to be gung-ho. It's walking with God in reality, telling God when you're good, telling God when you're not so good, telling God when you're mad with him. I've done that many times in my life, telling God when I think he's been unfair, not that he ever is, but I often feel like he is. 
And God is looking for authenticity. And I think the message of Jeremiah is God wants an authentic people. Joe, there's a there's a passage that just comes to mind where the people were so convinced that Jeremiah's message that Babylon would soon come and conquer Jerusalem. And the people say, that is impossible to happen. Why? Because we've got the temple. And he turns around to them, don't go around saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I tell you, God's going to destroy this house. And they were relying on their religion, their history, their background, we're the people of God, this is Jerusalem, this is the temple of God, he commanded it to be built, we're okay. But there was no authenticity, no real relationship lived out in their lives. And Jeremiah says, God God doesn't care about that. God is going to destroy this city, destroy this nation, destroy this temple. Well, you can imagine how that went down, can't you? Particularly in Jerusalem and in the temple. But it's a measure of how Jeremiah is so passionate that what matters to God is not external religion, but internal relationship. And Jeremiah, by the sound of it, is also more than willing to be vulnerable to be to be open, to be affected, if you like, by the message. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? He's not one of these um, preachers who's removed, who's a step back, who is not passionate about what's that. He's, he's caught up with it. He's, he's not afraid of weeping. Actually, he's often been called the weeping prophet. He is so caught up in the message, in the way that he lives and acts out that message. And I think it comes as well, one, from his encounter with God, but two, from the pain of what he sees is coming to happen. These people were so convinced that God would protect them. Why? Because we're his people. We're his special nation. And I think he saw the pain of what was coming. The pain of conquest, the pain of devastation, the pain of a ruined city, the pain of the temple being destroyed, the pain of God's people going into exile. And that pain comes out with passion in the messages that he brings. There's a very famous verse in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 29, possibly verse 11. I've heard it quoted by many people over the years. I'm just interested to know what it means in its context. I don't know whether you've got that verse to hand. Yes, one of the things that Jeremiah prophesies, if I just go back a few chapters, first to chapter 26, in chapter 26, he's prophesied again and again that judgment is going to come through Babylon. And in chapter 25, sorry, he says that my servant Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon is going to be summoned. Did you hear that? My servant, this pagan king, Hmm. the king who's on the throne can use anything for his purposes, even pagan kings. And he speaks about how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is going to come and utterly destroy Jerusalem, conquer Judah and exile the people. And that Judah will become a desolate wasteland and the nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now, 70 years was often used in the Bible to be the equivalent of a generation. 
So he may be saying a generation, but it was almost 70 years to the date between when the king of Babylon took the first batch of exiles, because there were three, and between the first batch of exiles going into exile and coming out would be almost 70 years to the day. And so as we now go to the passage that you talked about in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is not just a a moaning prophet who's all doom and gloom. He has hope in the midst. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, he sends a letter to those who are already in exile. Now, he's not in exile at this point. He's not one of those who's been taken in that first batch. And he sends a letter to them because he's so convinced now that God is bringing judgment, but it will only last 70 years. And so in this letter to the Jews who've been exiled, he says, listen, what I want you to do, God says, is build houses, settle down, marry, take wives, seek the prosperity and peace of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Good work to us today, by the way, Mm -hmm. still. And the New Testament does call us to pray for kings and all in authority over us, Mm. whether we voted for them or not, whether their policies are ours or not. Pray that God would use them because if the nation prospers through them, so will you. And then he goes on to say, so settle down, right? It's not going to end tomorrow is really what he's saying. There's a generation to go here. So settle down, send your kids to school, marry, have kids, give yourselves to life, prosper. But chapter 29, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place, to bring you back to Jerusalem. And it's there, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and pray to me and I'll listen. So he's looking ahead to that point. So very often, this is a verse uh, perhaps taken out of context by many Christians and given to one another. Ah, oh, God's got good plans for you to prosper you and, and not to harm you. And you know what? I believe that. And it's true. And there's a a way at which this verse is always true for God's people. But in its context that you ask about, the context really is to an exiled people who feel you have no hope and everything is over. Come on, this is not the end. This is just my loving discipline, which is how the prophets see the exile. So get on with life. Because after the 70 years, I'll bring you back because I haven't given up on my plans for you yet is really what it means in context. Mm. There will be exile, not just for the first batch, not just for the second batch, but for the whole of God's people when they're finally taken into exile in 586 BC and settled there and allowed to retain their identity. Keep your identity, work at it, live, prosper, because I've still got plans for Judah. I have not given up on you. 
and Babylon conquering you and taking you into exile is not the end of the story. I've got plans for good and their plans not to leave you there in exile. The day will come when I will bring you back here to Judah. Why? Because the story hasn't finished yet. And from that returning people, through all its ups and downs, would eventually come a Messiah, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. As you as you describe that, it comes across as a very caring relationship that God has with his people. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that really stands out in the Bible is God is not some distant, cold, aloof God. He's certainly not an old man sitting in a rocking chair in the sky somewhere. He's not an unfeeling force or power out there. He is a loving father. And I use the word father simply because that's used so much in the scripture. That doesn't mean he's male. I know that's hard for us to get our minds around where a father has to be male. He's not male, but he is a father. He's a caring, loving father. And we saw in a previous episode when we were looking at Hosea, he's a loving husband to a bride that he cares for. And the picture we get of God in the Bible and that comes out in Jeremiah is a God who passionately loves his people, who has purpose for them, but who doesn't let them get away with blue murder. You know, whenever over the years I've seen parents who spoil their kids or who never discipline them, they're just storing up trouble for themselves and their kids down their road. And because God is such a loving father of his people, um, he does discipline us. And as the book of Hebrews says in the New Testament, no discipline seems pleasant at the present time, but, but later we see it bears fruit. And what Jeremiah is prophesying here, as the other prophets of his period, is this is hard. But please remember, this is hard because for hundreds of years, God's people have steadily, persistently turned away from him and living according to his word. Now, Israel, the northern tribe, had already paid its price. 722-721 BC, conquered by Assyria, scattered, gone forever. It's almost as if God is saying, do you see what happened to Israel in the north? The same could happen to you. No, we'll be fine. We've got the temple. God's with us in a way that he wasn't with them. And yet they too continued in their ways of putting religion before reality of relationship, both with God and with one another. And after hundreds of years of God's people persistently refusing to live according to his word, God eventually lets this discipline come upon his nation, the discipline of exile. But it is the prophet's stress, loving discipline. It's discipline, so there's an ouch. And the discipline of seeing your nation conquered, Jerusalem pulled down, its walls destroyed, the temple destroyed, your home destroyed, your family exiled, man, ouch, ouch, ouch. And yet this loving God has not done it as revenge. Well, that will teach you not to disobey me in future. 
The Bible never presents like God like that. This is God bringing loving discipline to say, have you got the message now? Have you seen now what matters to me? Have you seen how much I want my relationship with you to be reflected in how you respond to me, but how you respond to one another? Have you got that now? So here is the loving heart of a father reaching out through discipline in order that there might be hope for God's people once again and his purposes might continue. If the book of Jeremiah wasn't in the Bible, what would we be missing? We'd be missing some cracking passages, that's one thing for sure. We'd be missing passages like his promise of the new covenant because he realises that the old covenant just can't work anymore. And so he promises the time is coming, the Lord says, when I'll make a new covenant with my people and I'll put it on their hearts rather than on stones, tablets of stone. So there'd be some amazing passages that we would be missing out. But I think the thing that we would perhaps be missing out overall is twofold. One's about Jeremiah, one is about God. Jeremiah shows us that when God's got you, you know, no matter how much you struggle and kick against the goads, you can't get away from God's call on your life. But that God does not mind us being honest with him. So Jeremiah shows us we really can be honest with God and bring who we are and how we're feeling to him. But the picture we get about God is God who, yes, disciplines his people, but his discipline is always for our good. And ultimately, his arms are always open to say, I want you to come back to me. And you can always make a new start with me, which is exactly what would happen with God's people as the story unfolds. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.